Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Well, it's Wednesday Night Bible Study. We're going through the book of Esther. So let me just kind of, again, do a little review so that in case you weren't here or in case you've forgotten how it's going so far, Esther chapter 1, the king throws a party. He's getting ready to go to war. He wants to prove how great he is and how powerful he is and how rich he is and all the stuff he can do. So he invites all of his people in and they all do everything. And in a moment of weakness and stupidity, he says, go get the queen and have her come out. I want to show her off to everybody. And the queen says, no. Well, long live the king, but the queen's not. You know, she's, okay, she's done. She's banished. Chapter two, let's find a new one. So they go about the whole kingdom trying to find a new queen. Finally, Esther is chosen. Chapter 3, this guy by the name of Haman has this great plan because he hates the Jewish people. And he convinces the king that he says, look, there's these people that are in our kingdom and in our place, and they live by their another set of rules, and they don't follow us, and and they're kind of a threat to us. Would you issue a decree that we just wipe them all out? So the king signs it. And so the date is set. It's about a year later. All the Jews are to be killed, destroyed in the kingdom, in the providence, and all that's going on. Chapter 5, Mordecai, Esther's uh, adopted dad, related to her uncle in a sense. He goes to Esther and says, Esther, you hear what's happening? You got to do something. Esther goes, if I do something, I could get killed. And, Esther, and Mordecai goes, look, you think you're going to escape when they kill all the other Jews anyway? You're going to get killed no matter what if you don't do it. And he says these great words, perhaps you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, it's your moment. So she says, well, let's fast and we'll see. Chapter five, Esther goes to the king. She has a plan. She doesn't just immediately go ask. She says, I'd like to throw you a little banquet. Can you come? You and Haman, come. Haman's second guy in the land right now. So they're there, they do it. The king says, look, Esther, ask whatever you want. You can have up to half the kingdom. She said, well, just come to eat with me. So they eat, have a great time. Well, what do you want, Esther? Come on. He goes, how about tomorrow? We have another banquet. You and Haman come, and I'll tell you then. Well, Haman thinks he's the hottest stuff on the planet, except he goes home, and Mordecai's there, and Mordecai doesn't bow to him, and Mordecai doesn't give him what he thinks he deserved, and he's ticked off. And so he goes back home, and he says, what am I going to do with this guy? This guy just rubs me the wrong way. I hate it. I see him every day. I despise him. What do I do? I, and they come up with this great plan. Let's just get a, 60, a 75-foot pole, put a sharp point on the end of it, and let's throw him on it. Great idea. I'll do it in the morning. Now we're in chapter 6. Mordecai was never recognized. Was never recognized. Verse 1, that night the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history of his reign so it could be read to him. See, if you have trouble sleeping, you pick up a book and you read something, puts you to sleep. Well, if you want something to put you to sleep, read history, right? Sometimes. And so, well, his history, it's, well, look what I did. You know, and he's probably going to stay awake for that anyway. 
verse 2, in those records, it was discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of two of the bodyguards that had been around the king, and they had been there, and they were at the door of his palace, and Mordecai said, look, you've got to watch these guys. These guys are going to assassinate the king. And he told Esther that. Esther went and told the king. Esther, the king said, oh, it's a real. They checked it out. Sure enough, it was. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for that? His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Not a thing. What is that in the outer court? The king implied. Who is there? As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the the pole he had already prepared. Can you say bad timing? So he's come early, banquet isn't yet. He says, let's get this over with, first order of the day. Shows up the king's palace, here he is. The king's been reading, nothing's happened. He's coming to say, can I, we just take this guy and get rid of him? So Haman's advice is requested. His advice is requested. Verse five. So the attendants uh, replied to the king, well, Haman's out there. And well, bring him in, let's go get him. And uh, Haman comes in and the king says, look, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? And Haman thought to himself, boy, this has got to be up, you know, who would the king wish to honor more than me? Can you say arrogant? I mean, who else is there? I'm the man. And so he goes off and he says, look, here's what you do, king. You know, if you want to really honor somebody, bring out one of your own royal robes and as well as a horse and with the king himself is written and the robe you've wore and a growed emblem on its head and let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse and have the officials shout as they go this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor <laughs> so he gives him some great advice. He says, here's what you need to do. Well, now Mordecai is rewarded. <laughs> now, the irony of this and the humor of this is just wonderful. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and take my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew. Can you say, you know, the jaw drops? It's, uh, huh? Come again? Who sits at the gate of the palace, leave out nothing that you have suggested. So Haman took the robes, got them on Mordecai, and placed him on the king's own horse, led him through the city square, shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Boy, God's just, it's just great the way God works, isn't it? Haman needs to face reality. He needs to face reality. So afterwards, Mordecai just returns to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. And when Haman told his wife and all of his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, notice what they say, Sure, 
you've got to understand something. Mordecai is a Jew. And you'll never succeed in your plans against him. See, that nation still has a reputation, doesn't it? People still know. And they said, look, if you go against him, you're not going to succeed. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. Let it go. And while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. It just so happens the king can't sleep. Can you say God? It just so happens he's reading history. It just so happens out of all the pages of history, he reads a page of a man who did something for him that he had forgotten about and wondered, did we ever do anything? God is always involved in what's going on. But in this chapter, it really comes to light of two different men and two different types of character. So what I want to do just real quickly, I'm not going to take a long time on this, reviewing our character. Because basically, for you and I, we have to be able to look and see what type of people are we. Now, here's the thing. It's hard for us to know. So I'm going to give you some character traits that you can just look at to see if you are. First of all, we're going to look at Haman because he's a guy who is, I like the word, haughty. Haughty. Pride's a good word. It's kind of in there. But see, pride has some different meanings. Pride, you should be proud of the work that you do. You can be proud of your family. That's not a negative thing. There's a negative side to pride. But haughty, it's just all bad, isn't it? Arrogant, it's just horrible. And so if you had one word to describe Haman, it would be haughty, wouldn't it? He, he thinks he's something. He thinks he's worth everything. How do you know? What's the character trait of a person who is like this? Well, what is it like when somebody has this type of heart, this type of attitude, this kind of projection? Because here's what I think. Most people who are don't know that they are. They think they're okay. They think everything's going to be right. See, when you hear a little rumble, it kind of humbles you, doesn't it? Okay? Yeah. So, what, what's some of the trait? First of all, contentment is absent. They're never satisfied. They always want a little more. But here's the real bad part of it. They think they deserve more. They think they are owed something. You owe me. I deserve this. I should get more than this. And they're not content with what they have and with their position or title in life. Haman was always looking for a way to get a higher up. He was always looking for a way, and he was ticked off because one man just wouldn't bow to him like he thinks they should. I need more. So contentment's absent. A prideful person, a haughty person. And we all, I think, would immediately go to uh, this character called Satan. We know that pride, haughtiness was his downfall. He, he wanted more, didn't he? He thought he deserved more. And so if you're in a place where you think you 
deserve more than what you're getting, you better be very careful. Control of others and circumstances. You see, haughty people always make demands on other people. (laughs) Haughty people have this kind of attitude. No one should mess up my life. They should do what I say. They should listen to me. I know what's best. I know what's right. And I think you should do what I want you to do. And if you don't, I'll try to force you to do it. They're manipulative. They just try to always get their way because they have to be in control because they think that's their position. They think that's what they deserve. That's th- they think that they have that right to do that. And then they're constantly trying to impress. They're constantly promoting themselves. Haman's constantly promoting, well, oh, who would you rather re- give reward to than me? I mean, I can't think of anybody else in the whole kingdom that's more worthy than me. There's no one else that's more honorable than I am. Satan thinks, I want to be like God. I'm better than he is. You're aware of position and title. It's always about self. And so there's this attitude that comes in where you owe me, I deserve this, I should get more, and I will control circumstances and people to get what I want, and I will do everything I can to impress you because I am somebody. But that person always causes division. They always bring about conflict. Satan rebelled, took a third of the angels with him, didn't he? He he divided haughty people, prideful people divide. They don't unite, they divide. They create conflict wherever they go and with whatever they do and they just cause division. You can tell someone's haughty because they always separate people. They're always creating conflict. They always think they know what's best. They always get people to follow them. And so it creates a lot of problems because they have this great concern for recognition. You better recognize what I do. You better show me that I'm right. I want people to notice. I want people to know. And then they're in conflict with God. God's against them, but they're against God because God does not like haughty people. And it always ends the same way in disgrace. And here's what the scripture says. Pride, haughtiness, leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So we have in the book of Esther a picture of what haughty looks like, of what a prideful man looks like. It's in chapter after chapter after chapter of what this guy's doing and what he's saying, how he's operating, how he's manipulating behind the scenes and what's going on. And yet if you were to tell him, hey, you're a prideful person. No, I'm not. I deserve what I'm getting. I'm just doing what I think is right. I'm just acting my way. And over the course of time, you've come across people who you think, man, they got a big ego. But yet when you talk to them or ask them or confront them about it, there's no way they're going to admit that. They don't think that's the way it is, isn't it? They think it's right. They think it's okay. Satan believes he's right. 
He believes he's better than God. He believes he's more deserving. That's what pridefulness, the wrong pride looks like, what haughtiness looks like. The opposite of that is this word, great word in the Bible called humility. It's the other extreme. It's the other way. Now, humility again, we've talked about this before, but let me just reemphasize it. Humility is something you have to do to yourself. All the way through scripture, you humble yourself. You do what you have to do. You're the one responsible to be humble. You're the one responsible to make sure it's happened. Pride is something you do to yourself. You choose it on your own. But someone who is growing in humility, which Mordecai is, what's Mordecai doing? He's always behind the scenes, isn't he? Every time you see him, he's out in the courtyard just hanging around, sitting around. Esther comes by and he whispers to her and, you know, hey, these guys, there's this plot going on to kill the king. You should tell the king about it. He doesn't care whether he gets recognized or not. He's just been in the, uh, going down the thoroughfare, riding the horse, having the king's robe on. What's he doing? He's done. He goes around, gets a high five, gets a crowd behind him and starts telling everybody how great he is. No. What's this say about it? Simple little phrase. He just goes back to his place. Wow, that speaks volumes. That's humble. I don't have to have the recognition. It doesn't matter. Content with who they are and where they are. There's a verse that says, godliness and contentment is a great gain. Being content with where God has you and who you are in Christ. Knowing that I am who Christ wants me to be, and I'm going to be more like him, but I'm grateful for the place he has me to serve. Prideful, haughty people always are looking to take a step up and to climb up the ladder. People with humility are willing to give their all right where they're at, whether they get promoted or not. They're not going to promote themselves. God will take care of them. People will notice. Here's a big one. It's a big thing to be able to tell the difference. Humble people can submit to authority. Prideful people don't like anybody telling them what to do. Prideful people don't think just because you have a title or a position, that doesn't give you a right to boss me around. Humble people are willing to take orders. Humble people are willing to do what is said and willing to follow instructions. Prideful people always fight against it because they always think their way is better and they're above the person who thinks that they have a right to tell them anything. So if you have a struggle with authority and you've got someone, well, I don't like what they're doing, so I'll manipulate around them. I'll just do what I want to do and I'll go this way. I'm not going to listen to them. I don't have to. And I'll just do my thing. That's pride. That's arrogance. Humility says, I'll serve. And whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Jesus was the most humble person on the face of the earth. And he tells us why. He doesn't say it in these words, but here's what he says. I just always do what the Father tells me to do. That's humility. I'm willing to take orders. 
Humble people are connected to others. Prideful people don't care about other people. All they care about is themselves. Humble people care about other people. They have compassion for them. They want to help them. They want to be a part of them. They don't try to separate themselves to get their own way and do their own thing. Philippians 2.3, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others just as much as you think of yourself as better than yourself. Thinking of others more than yourself. A willingness to give yourself to others. Humble people are confident in God's control. God's in charge. God's going to take care of me. If I get a promotion, God will do that. If something needs to happen, God's overseeing things. I don't have to push my way. I don't have to force my way. I don't have to do it on my own. I'm not the one who's got to control and manipulate. God knows where I'm at. God will help me. God will lead me. And promotion comes from God. And they're willing to allow God to work and to move. And they're confident. God's got everything in control. Mordecai says, you know what? God's in control here. I'll just do what I need to do. I'll be responsible for where I am. And God will take care of everything else. I think sometimes we as Christians, especially in America, we look at what's going on in our country and we sometimes get the false notion that God isn't in control anymore. And yet there is nothing in this country going on but what God isn't controlling. Okay, that would have been a good amen place right there. That, that was, yeah. They're coachable by God and others. They'll take instruction. Let me help you. Oh, good. Can you show me how to do this? Oh, let me listen to your way. Let's talk about different ways we could do this. Prideful people, no, my way's the way. We don't need to have a conversation. We don't need to do anything. We're doing it the way I want to do it. That's arrogance. Humility always concludes in honor. Always. God says, you humble yourself and I'll take care of you. Psalm 18, 27. You rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. In Esther chapter 6, God humiliated a proud man, didn't he? That's exactly what he did. Luke 14, 11. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. They'll be brought down. And those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. James 4, 6. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're prideful, God's working against you. If you're humble, God's given you the strength that you need. And so you and I constantly have to be aware, hold it, am I being a person who's haughty and prideful and arrogant and wanting my way? Oh, I'm not that bad. Let me just tell you something. A little bit of pride is deadly. Humility, on the other hand, puts you in a place where God can use you and where God can empower you. And you look at the people that God used. They all had humility as a character trait. And so we see in this great chapter, this conflict between two men, 
One, a very haughty, arrogant man. The other, a very humble man. And the lessons for us on how to be. And just thoughts to remember here. Let me quickly be out of this story and out of this chapter. First of all, when all seems lost, it isn't. When it seems like you're not going to win, when it seems like the others, the evil is overcoming, when it seems like it's just going wrong and going bad, when it just seems like it's not going to happen, it isn't. God is still in control. God still knows how to allow a king not to get sleep. And he still knows how to help the assistant to turn to the right page. And he still knows how to get someone to say something that they think they're saying for themselves and yet they're going to honor somebody else. When everything seems lost, when it seems hopeless, it's not. When no one seems to notice, they do. You think you're doing something, no one notices? God always notices. And he rewards those who seek him. He exalts those who humble themselves. And when Mordecai, well, I did this, nobody noticed, somebody noticed. And God has a way of evening things out. Now the problem is this. We want them to notice immediately, don't we? But notice, it's a little time before this happens, isn't it? When nothing seems just, it is. When it seems like the evil side's winning, when it seems like Haman's going to get his revenge, when it seems like all the Jews are going to be taken care of and murdered, and it seems like everybody's going to go off scot-free, God is a just God. And justice always rules. And when everything is said and done, God will be just. Count on it. Well, it doesn't seem fair. It's not over. It's not done. It's not finished. And finally, when God seems absent, he's not. He's close. He's always involved. Here's some great news for you today. Whatever you're doing in your life and wherever you're at in your life, God is involved with you. He is with you. You're never alone. God's never absent. He's always present. And that's a great thing to remember when it seems like in the case of Esther, the other side is more powerful. The other side is in control. Haman, a guy who doesn't deserve it, who's haughty and as arrogant as can be, is in charge. Everything, the ungodly king are doing what they want. It just seems like nothing right is ever going to prevail and nothing's going to happen. Neil said it earlier, but God, he's there. He notices. He knows. He will take care of things. He's faithful. He's just. It's all's not lost. He notices God is still in control. So you and I need to just kind of evaluate our lives when we see a story like this. God, am I like that person? God, am I having that kind of attitude? God, no, I'm not as bad of Haman as, as Haman is, but God... Here's the question to ask. Is there a little bit of Haman in me?
Because if there is, I need it to go. Help me, Lord, to be like Jesus and to humble myself. You will give me the grace that I need to face whatever life brings my way. God is in control. Let's pray. Lord, tonight, we thank you for the reminder. We see the contrast of people, of how they live and how they operate. One's always looking for the headlines. The other one just quietly goes about his business and does what is right. And you notice both. And you care for both. And you use both. So God, help us as we go from this place this evening to be aware of our hearts. Don't let us be haughty. Don't let us be arrogant. Don't let us be like Haman. Not even a little bit. Help us to live in the humility that comes from knowing that Christ is in control and we can trust you and you will take care of us. And we go to live in that way. Guide and direct us, we pray. In thy name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.